Father in heaven, we so long to lift high the name of Christ. We thank you for the gifts that you've given your body, the diversity among those which you have just so benevolently given your people that we might bring you glory. God, thank you for what we have just heard. Thank you for what we are about to hear. Thank you for the way that we have been able to participate, not as an audience, but as those who have been saved by the work of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. His life, his death, his resurrection, and now the promise as he reigns as king, his return. And Lord, I would ask that you would awaken us, that we would be prepared, that we would be ready, that this day that there would not be a person leaving this sanctuary, or if someone is worshiping with us online, that they would not know that they have faith in Christ, assurance of salvation. Make it clear, Lord, we pray, in the strong name of Jesus, amen. In a few minutes, we're gonna come to the table for communion, and so if you did not receive the elements on the way in, raise your hand so we can go ahead and get those to you. I'm just gonna ask you to do that right now before we stand for the reading of God's word. There's a few over here. While our elders are bringing you the elements, I wanna tell you a little bit about the passage that we're about to look at. There's certain passages in the Bible which are quite scary. Uh, this is one, as we're reading this vision that Daniel had. The vision began at the uh, beginning of chapter 10. Last week, Pastor Ron Williams did a phenomenal job unpacking the history of what's taking place here. And he described what Daniel was seeing and hearing. And I want you to know that for us who are in Christ, we have nothing to be afraid of. Absolutely nothing. If you're in Christ, you're going to live forever. If you're in Christ, you're going to live forever. That is not up for debate. But what is also real is until you were taken home or until he returns, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Now, how many of you are like, well, that's really encouraging, Mark. Don't you want me to tell you the truth? Thank you. That was Lucy, I think. Is that right? Yeah, of course. So I'm going to. I bought a journal a few days before the beginning of the new year. I love to journal. I've been journaling since I was 16. It's just prayers that I write. But this journal was different because on the cover it said, no bad days. That's not true. I bought it anyway. And I gave it to someone in our church. She's enjoying it because she understands the reality. That's not true. There are going to be bad days. And there's going to be more bad days. And that's what Daniel is hearing. Daniel and the people of God have already returned. But it's not gone well. It's not been easy. And these visions that he's receiving are reminding him. It's going to be a long, long journey. And it is for us as well. Some of you have already given up on 2022. I've heard you. Well, this year is already a dumpster fire. One person I talked to is going through a very serious situation at work, may lose his job because of decisions he's making that are not immoral. They're based on his own convictions. He's like, what's going on in the world? Daniel sees these visions. 
And these visions give a picture of what's coming. And it's this succession of kings, one after another, who just do vile things. And sometimes, especially when you've grown up in a culture like the Bible Belt, you know what these passages speak to, but you can dilute the reality of what's being said so that it, it numbs the intensity with which you should be living for Jesus. And Daniel sees this vision and is sick to his stomach. He falls flat on his face because it's terrifying. And this isn't the only part of the Bible where there are these terrifying images of what we need to be aware of. But as believers in Christ, never lacking confidence, never lacking courage, never losing hope because of what he tells us about who he is and who we already are in him. And so I'm going to read a portion of Daniel 11 and go back to one verse that Ron read last week, verse 32, and that's where I want to camp this morning before we come to the table. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Daniel 11:36. The first part of this passage is a description of this king who continues to do vile things. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers, or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. Now back up to verse 32. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We have three sermons, including the one this morning on the book of Daniel, left. Then Brian Chapel is going to be here for Winter Grace. I want you to hear this. Winter Grace, we're bringing it back. It's not an extracurricular activity. It's, a, it's an event. It's worship. It's a time of deep study in the Word of God, and the theme is going to be on the Word of God. He's particularly going to take us, beginning on that first Sunday through Romans 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, which we are always tempted to do, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So set your calendars accordingly. It'll be Sunday morning worship, Sunday night, and Monday night. You'll be deeply encouraged, I promise. But as I preach these next three sermons on the end of Daniel, there is a doctrine that's going to be easily seen over and over again, which is part of our tradition, and it's called perseverance of the saints. And perseverance of the saints simply means that all who are truly born again, 
All who are truly born again in Christ, all who have received and rested in Jesus alone for salvation, they will endure to the end and into eternity. And only those who are truly born again, truly have rested and received in Jesus alone for salvation, who are living for him in him for his glory, only they will be the ones who persevere to the end. Perseverance of the saints is an incredibly comforting reality, a doctrine. And that's what we're going to be unpacking as we look at these texts and we hear this call to take action and stand firm. It's not something that only exists in the Old Testament, but it's for us in the New. So let's look back up at verse 32. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Ron gave us the application last week. It's simply that. Stand firm, take action. But the question becomes, how? How do we do that? Is it really possible? Yes, it's possible or God wouldn't have called us to do it. But there's something that's very easy to miss that I want to start with. It says, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Do you know Christ? Right now, some of you might be thinking, okay, it's going to be an evangelistic sermon, so I don't really need to listen. You need to listen. Because if you already know Christ, you need to thank God constantly for that grace. Because you didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. Thank God that he chose you, that he saved you, that he made your heart come alive for him. Thank God for that mercy. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for the, the risen Christ. Thank God for the empty tomb. Thank God for the promise of his return. But it doesn't say, but the people who know about their God shall still stand firm and take action. It's not enough to know about God. It's not enough to be a child whose parents know about God or even know God. Do you know Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? If he is your Lord and Savior, you've received and rested in Jesus alone, then this is the call that you have. Stand firm. Take action. And you can because of who you are in Christ. But it is very, very easy to be a part of a church, even a Bible-believing church, to serve as an usher, to serve in the choir. I remember years ago, even somebody serving as a leader on one of our youth trips, and that leader actually did not know the Lord and came to faith on that trip. He thought he did. Do you know the Lord? When I was in college, my very first class some of you think I went to OU. I did not go to OU. I'm a huge Sooner fan. But I went to Oklahoma State for one year to study architecture. My very first class as a college student on a Monday morning, 8.20 in the morning, physical geography. My roommate and I had the same class. We went to class. Now there were several things we noticed right away that were kind of surprising. Number one, we were the only two males in the class. I looked at him and he looked at me and we're like, College is awesome. <laughs> we sat down. The professor came in. I began to observe things. I'm observant. And I realized nobody has the same textbook that my roommate and I have. I, maybe, maybe we're in the wrong place. And we were. 
So at that moment, as the instructor, the professor had already begun to teach, what do we have as options? One, get up and leave, be mocked and made fun of. Two, pretend we are where we're supposed to be. And just go along. We opted for that. We'll sit through, we'll endure. Until the professor said, the way I'd like to start class today is like for each of you to introduce yourself and tell us where you will be doing your student teaching this semester. We were in an early, early elementary ed class and these ladies, mostly ladies, last semester. And so at that point, I thought, I could pull this off. <laughs> I can. I don't think my roommate can, but I can. And I will. And then I realized, no, I can't. I'm in the wrong place. I'm not supposed to be here. It's like the moment when you're on an airplane and it's free seating and the pilot announces the flight number and tells you the city you're going to and that's not the flight you're supposed to be on. You can stay there. You can go to that city you weren't destined to go to. Or you can say, pardon me, please, I need to get off. Friends, some of you, whether you're worshiping with us online or you're here today or you've been coming here forever, you are sitting here and you don't yet know the Lord. Don't just sit here and please don't leave. Ask the most important question that we could ever ask. Do you believe Jesus Christ is who he says he is? The only way, the only truth, the only life. And come by his invitation to saving grace today. If that's stirring in you, if you want to know that, then that promise of all we've been speaking about is for you. Don't be embarrassed to raise your hand and say, I thought I was saved. Don't be embarrassed to say, I didn't know I had to trust in Jesus. I decided to know about him. Knowing about him is not enough. Now, parents, I want to ask you this question. What about your children? Are you confident that they know the Lord? Maybe they're not at an age where they can profess that yet, but are you confident that there's going to be evidence of that reality in their life? Praise God if it's true because he saved them not because of you but because of his grace. Praise God. Never get tired of hearing the good news of Jesus. Never get tired of hearing it because you didn't deserve it. Do you know Christ? Because the people who know Christ, we are going to endure to the end. That's not for debate. We are going to persevere. But this is really important. And I really want you to hear this, especially if you know Christ and you've grown up in the church. You are going to persevere not because you are standing firm and taking action, but because he did. Because Christ stood firm. Because Christ took action. And it's his perseverance that is then promised to us as he sustains us all the way to the end. That's why we're going to spend the next three weeks diving into this doctrine of perseverance of the saints because it brings so much hope to us. It's the hope that Paul preached to the church at Philippi. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He started in you. He's going to finish. That's his promise. Yet, when we really understand that and we hear this call to stand firm, and we hear this call to take action, we do so motivated by his love for us. Motivated by his love for us, not our self-righteousness that I stood firm, I took action. No, it's a humble, gracious response to what he has done 
and what he is doing. <sighs> Just before Christmas, I picked up a new book it's titled, Do You Believe? It's by Paul Tripp. And Paul Tripp decided, or felt led, I guess, to write about 12 essential doctrines of the Christian faith. This is a very powerful book. The first part of each of those doctrines, he unpacks what it means theologically. And the second part of it, he says, so what? What does it mean in our everyday life as a follower of Christ? I want to read two portions. The first is how he paraphrases the Westminster Confession of Faith statement on perseverance of the saints. We need to hear this if we have any hope of standing firm and taking action. Listen to just a couple paragraphs, and then I want to unpack it and read one final thing. This is his paraphrase. Those whom God has accepted through his beloved son, so this is important, the only way we are accepted into eternity is through Jesus Christ. Not through your works, not through you standing firm, not through all the actions you've taken. It is through Jesus Christ who has saved you. He is your covering. He is your righteousness. Those whom God has accepted through his beloved son has effectually called them that means the calling takes effect. You know that you're his. They're being made by the Holy Spirit into his image. They will not finally fall away from grace, but will persevere in that grace until the end. They will be eternally saved. The perseverance of the saints does not depend on their own free will, but upon God's unchangeable choice, which flows from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, from the effectiveness of the merit and intercession of Jesus, he's interceding for us right now, from the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, and the seed of God planted in them, and from the nature of the covenant of grace, from all of these comes the certainty that we will persevere. However, now it's going to talk about the fact that this side of heaven we still sin, and we do. However, because of the temptations of Satan and the world, because of the corruption of sin remaining in the saints, and their neglect of God's means of preserving them, they may fall into sins, continuing in those sins for a time, incurring God's displeasure and grieving the Holy Spirit. That's why we confess our sins daily. That's why we confess our sins weekly, corporately. Because of this, some of the saints' blessing and comforts may be taken away. Their hearts hardened, their consciences seared. This hurts and scandalizes others and brings temporary judgment on them. But after death, people's bodies decay and return to dust, but their souls live forever. They neither die nor sleep, but return to the God who gave them. The souls of righteous people are made perfectly holy and are received in the highest heaven where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for, for the full redemption of their bodies. Now, I know that's a lot, but that's why you're here. If you believe that already and have trusted in Christ, this is what's happening to you right now. One day, that temptation, those temptations, that sin will be gone. One day, the journal really would be no bad days forever. 
but I don't think you'll be journaling in heaven. It's forever. Do you know God? Do you know Christ? Not just about him. Then this is what he says about this perseverance. From the outset of seeking to understand the magnitude, and this is what I, I, I'm very concerned we don't get because we don't sit here long enough. From the outset of seeking to understand the magnitude, comfort, and the practicality of this doctrine, it is important to understand that the foundation of our perseverance is love. I love that. Here's why. It is the power of love that keeps us. But here is what is essential to understand. It is not our love for God that keeps us to the end, but God's unshakable, perfect, steadfast love for us. To unpack the doctrine of perseverance is really to meditate on the nature, the work, and the power of the love of God for his own people. That's why when we were singing the song, my Jesus, I love thee. We do love him if we are in him. We don't love him perfectly yet, but the whole reason we love him is because he loved us first. And that's why we must be careful when we hear a word like stand firm and take action that we don't suddenly move into the mind of a Pharisee that says, look at me and the way I'm standing firm and the way I'm taking action. You would have no desire to stand firm for Christ or take action for Christ if he did not first love you. That's why all the great doctrines always point to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why every sermon you hear preached from this pulpit takes us to the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. One final thing before we come to the table. Paul Tripp speaks about what it means to persevere. And one of the attributes of our perseverance is God's grace in enabling us to be committed to him. But then he offers this warning. And I think it's very important for us. Paul Tripp writes, as I've traveled around the world, experiencing the church in many cultures and fellowshipping with God's people despite language barriers, I have been both overjoyed and concerned. It gives me joy to see God's work in cultures around the world. But I have seen, I have been again and again concerned. Listen to this, please. I have been again and again concerned with how the average Christian is responding to God's work. Let me explain. I have had many conversations with sincere believers who, on the surface, seem hungry and alive, but who under the surface lack a deep, life-shaping commitment to their faith. That faith that says, I'm gonna take up my cross daily and follow Jesus. 
He says, it has become clear that what many believers rely on to fuel their Christian life is, now listen to this list, because you're going to go, what's wrong with that? It has become clear that what many believers rely on to fuel their Christian life is Sunday mornings, Christian blogs, and social media sites, cursory morning Bible reading, and popular Christian books. Rather than living as a disciple of Jesus Christ in the truest sense of what the word means, they have the regular habits of a Christian consumer. We do. We do. Even the way we think about worship, even the way we think about a bookstore downstairs, even the way we think about Bible studies, even the way we think about starting a new Bible reading plan, the world has so flooded into us that we treat so many of these means of graces like consumers. I like it or I don't. I'll sing it or I won't. I'll buy it or I won't. Have you read this book? Oh, this is where the Holy Spirit really is. Sunday morning gatherings aren't wrong. Reading books is not wrong. But what he is saying is that discipleship is not just consuming information about God. It's not just knowing about God. It is following a person who is the living God, Jesus Christ. And it is taking sermons, Bible reading, the sacrament, sacraments, it is taking all that God has given us through his means of grace and letting it soak deep into us, not as consumers, but as beggars who are desperate to know the promises of God. When we sense the desperation of the world we live in, we actually begin to respond in desperate ways. So let me ask you this. As you see the world today, and you hear one of the pastors of this church say, it's going to get worse and worse. Is there any part of you that begins to feel the desperate need for all that God is offering you? If you are a civilian at peacetime, you don't feel that desperation. You feel, let me be a consumer. And these are the list of books I'm gonna read this year, and I'll share quotes. But if you're a soldier, at wartime, you're a mom or a dad, knowing that this is gonna be much worse for your children or your grandchildren, there's a desperation that begins to be born that says, I need to understand this word and I need to avail myself desperately of all that God has given me. So the next two weeks, I want you to be praying and unpacking these promises of God in the midst of what he also promises to come. Dark times from one king to another to another until the ultimate king who will return comes. You have nothing to be afraid of. We have no need to lack courage. Not because of our ability to stand firm. Not because of our ability to take action but because of the one who has and the one who is 
and the one who will, even this day. As we get ready to come to the table, I want you to know that this is one of the means of grace that he gives us. It is not just something to check the box on, but it is his people availing themselves of what he offers. This table is for the people of God. It's for those who truly know Christ. And if today you're at a place where you are saying, I don't yet believe or have not trusted in Jesus alone for salvation, my heart, my prayer is that today would be the day that you simply pray this prayer. Jesus, Lord of all, I am a sinner in need of a savior and you are the only one. Today, I confess my sin to you and I rest in you alone for salvation. May that be the prayer that you offer today and may this date be marked in your heart and mind for all eternity. If you are not at that place, the word of God would tell you not to take these elements and eat them lest you would eat and drink judgment on yourself. So please let the elements simply stay where they are. For all who are in Christ, he has given this to us that today we might be transformed by what we see and hear of his promises. Father in heaven, as we get ready to come and as we sing, and as we anticipate tasting again the body and blood of our Savior, your, your Lord, the, the King that you sent to us, I pray, Father, that you would overwhelm us, that we would not simply be going through the motions, but would be deeply mindful of what we've seen and heard this day already. This we pray in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.